Well, good evening, and thank you for tuning in tonight to our Bible study called Peeled. And this is a study, of course, on the fruit of the Spirit. This is our third session tonight, and we're going to begin tonight by looking at the fruit of love. The first two sessions, we've been talking about generally what are the fruits of the Spirit and and trying to understand that whole concept. But tonight, we begin the journey of going, if you will, fruit by fruit trying to understand each of the things that God wants to do in our lives. I want you to think of these as character traits that are supernaturally produced as we are filled with the Spirit of God. I want to ask you this question, and I know those watching at home may not be able to hear, but you can participate as well. But can you, those that are here in the audience, can you name the fruit of the Spirit without looking on your Bible or your notes or anything like that? Can you name the fruit of the Spirit? There's nine of them. That'll help you. What are they? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Let's put it on the screen here. Love, joy, and peace. Those are the ones that are expressed Godward. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Those are the ones that are, uh, that are more about uh, manward. And then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control those are more related to us. Now, when, here's the question. Looking at this list, this is kind of a time for you just to be honest. You don't have to say if you don't want to. That's okay. But which one of these do you think is hardest to live out? Anybody want to say? Patience? Faithfulness? Self-control? All right. That really was a little bit of a trick question because this is not something that you do. This really is, this is not something that you can obtain. These are the qualities that you allow the Holy Spirit of God to produce in you. These are the qualities that the Holy Spirit of God works through your life as you surrender to Him. Now, of course, you don't have to be a Christian to love. You don't have to be a Christian to experience patience. I get that. But what, what we're going to be talking about is that the things that the Holy Spirit of God does in your life, it's really beyond your human ability to do. I like the way the Living Bible translation puts it. Look at this verse from the Living Bible. This is Galatians 5, 22, and it says this, but watch this, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, that's, that's the first statement that you need to see. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, and all those kind of things. Doesn't that make sense? That, that's one of the best descriptions I've seen of the, Holy, uh, of, of the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce these things in our lives. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit. I've got a statement here that I want to camp out on in just a mo- for just a moment. Look at this. Genuine regeneration will bring results in our lives. Let me tell you what that means. Genuine regeneration. Regeneration is the idea of being born again, being saved. Genuine regeneration will bring results in our lives. In other words, if you've truly been born again, you should see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean that you'll never mess up. It doesn't mean that at all. But genuine regeneration should bring about results. There should be a change. There should be a difference. 
If there's true regeneration, then these elements of the fruit of the Spirit will be more and more evident in a person's life. Now, let's contrast this statement. Those who are not saved, those who are unbelievers, including those who pretend to be believers, will clearly lack these traits that we're going to be looking at. Jesus made this very clear. I want you to take your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Very interesting scripture in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. Now, stop right there for a second. False prophets, of course, would be those who, who have never been regenerated. They have never been saved. They're pretending to be something that they're not. So Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now watch this next verse. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Here he's not talking about, Jesus was not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about the fruit of the flesh. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Everybody's shaking their head no. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, watch this, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus seems to be indicating that there ought to be fruit in our lives that would demonstrate whether or not we've truly been saved. He didn't say your activity in church would be evidence of regeneration. Rather, the character traits in our lives, the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, changing our lives, this is evidence of our generate regeneration or our salvation. In fact, it's interesting, immediately after these verses, uh, right after these verses about the tree and, and the fruit, look at the very next verse, verse 21 and then verse 22. Jesus warns about something. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's interesting that Jesus mentions prophecy, exorcism, and miracles and other mighty works that these people were performing. Now the question would be, how did they do that? It appears that they were doing it in the flesh. Maybe even with the help of the evil one. Because Jesus says about those people that were doing these activities, Jesus said, I never knew you. You're not one of mine. But the character traits of the fruit of the Spirit... Those are the things that give evidence that we are His. Those are the things that we cannot produce on our own strength. Now, let's go back to, to Galatians 
and begin to look at this concept of the fruit of love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of your dedication, not the fruit of, of anything else, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, why do you think love is mentioned first? You know, if we're making observations... Like, like we're learning how to do on Sunday nights, one of the things we would observe about this list is that love is listed first. Our tendency would be to ask why and try to interpret that, and that's fine, we'll, we'll get to that later. But just making the observation, love is listed first. So let me ask you the question, why do you think that love is listed first, that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Why is that first? It's the greatest, he said. All right, very good. Anybody else? The rest of them are born out of that. Yes, that's true. Those are both very good answers. Exactly. The Bible says God is love. In fact, go with me to this scripture. Put your finger there and go over to the right uh, and find 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. John said something pretty bold in verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. Plain and simple. Whoever does not love does not know God. And then he explains why. Because. Because. Why, church? Because God is love. God is love. He didn't say because God loves. He didn't even say because God wants us to love. He said, God is love. So if you know Him, if He is in you, His love should be evident. That's the case John is making. Now, I recognize that we use the word love in a lot of different ways. In fact, I'd like for you to name some of the things, uh, some of the ways that we use the word love. For I'll get you started. Like, I love Pepsi. Okay? Name some other things that, that you, different ways that you use that word love. Yeah, I, I love my wife, absolutely. What else? Love your grandkids, absolutely. What else? Love sports. Yeah, I was wondering if anybody was going to say something like that. Huh? You used to? <laughs> yeah. We use love in a lot of different ways. It's the same word in our language. It's the same word, but we're using it in different ways. I mean, watch this. I can say, I love chocolate, and I love Lisa, and it's the same word, but it's far different meaning, right? Far different meaning, yet it's the same word. But not in the Greek and Hebrew text. In the Greek and Hebrew text, those languages tend to be more specific. They tend to be more focused than our English language. And let me tell you about this word love in Galatians 5.22. That word love in Galatians 5.22, the Greek word is the word agape. Agape. It's referring to a divine love that stands in a class all of its own. I want you to make sure, if you take notes, I want you to make sure you write that down. Agape is, is referring to a divine love that stands in a class all its own. There is nothing else like agape. There is nothing else like this divine, godlike love. So what I want to do in our remaining time is just to give you 
five characteristics of agape. Five characteristics of this divine love. Five characteristics of this love that should be evident in your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. All right? So, here's the first one. Agape is a, is a divine capacity to love. A divine capacity to love. In other words, this is a, a, agape is love in action. Think of it in those terms. It's love in action. And it's this God-given capacity to love somebody else. Let me give you a definition. This is a long definition. And I know those watching on, on the television, you, you can't see this. But let me read it to you. It's, it's a long definition, but I put it up here because it's such a good definition. So here's what the definition says. An undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill now, those are some big words, but let's pause for a moment and think about this. Here is a definition of agape, God-type love. An undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill that, is, that always seeks the highest of the other. That's important. That's always seeking the best for someone. The highest of the other, no matter what he does. That last phrase is a very important part, too. Agape is a love that is expressed no matter what we do. That God kind of love. And then, here's the second half of the definition. It is self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return. And does not consider the worth of its object. It's a love that gives, but it never expects something in return. Now that's one definition, a long definition, but a very good one. Let me give you another definition here. God's willful direction toward man. In other words, this is a love that comes from God towards us. God's willful direction toward man. Watch this. It involves God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. This is God doing for us what God knows is best, not necessarily what we want him to do. This is agape love. Agape love is that love that goes so far that it loves regardless of feelings. That it loves a person even if he doesn't deserve to be loved. And it sacrifices for another person's good no matter how that person may respond or treat you. I want you to hear that one more time. Listen carefully. Agape love is a love that goes so far that it loves regardless of feelings. It loves a person even if he does not deserve to be loved. And it sacrifices for another person's good, no matter how that person may respond or treat them. And the greatest illustration of that is in Luke 23, 34. Luke 23, 34. Don't... Don't, don't, don't read that yet if you, if you haven't yet. Just hold on. Let me set it up for you. The Roman soldiers took Jesus and they whipped him and they beat his back and ripped the flesh off of his back. They hit him with their fist. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorns and pushed it down into his head. They put a robe on his back that was beaten raw and they knelt down and they mocked him and they laughed at him. They punched him. 
And then they made him march through Jerusalem carrying a cross and then they got him to a hill. And they laid him down and they, they nailed him on that cross. His hands and his feet. Drove the spikes through his hands and his feet and, and they dropped that cross into the ground. And the, and the pain, the sheer pain that went through his arms and his legs. Then the people were laughing and cursing and mocking. They were gambling over his clothes. They, they were just doing everything they could to ridicule and humiliate him. And by the way, murder him. And as he hung there, experiencing all of that, Jesus said this in verse 34, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That is the best picture of agape love that I could ever show you. Agape love loves regardless of feelings. Agape love loves a person even if he doesn't deserve to be loved. Agape love sacrifices for another person's good no matter what that person may do to you or how they may respond. So that's the first description of agape love. Here's the second one. Agape love is more of a response than a feeling. Now this is an important aspect here because when you start thinking about loving some people in your life, in your family, in your social networks, some of those people that seem to be unlovable, some of those people that you may not like and they may not like you, when you, when you have to love somebody that's not easy to love, you need to remember that agape love is more of a response than a feeling. Now, let me say this. Emotion may accompany agape. Emotion may be part of it, but emotion and agape are not the same. Agape love is really a choice. Striving deliberately for another person's good. Uh, and God set that standard. Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Let me show you this in action. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Love is more of a response than a feeling. It doesn't say anything about feeling a certain way towards them. It's talking about an action. It's talking about a response. Number three. Agape is not fueled by, desire, by the desire of the recipients. It is fueled by the need. Agape is fueled by the need. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because that was our need. That was our greatest need. Skip down to verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? God responded to our need. Agape means that God did what we needed Him to do. God did what He knows is best for us. 
and what we need. Here's the fourth one. Agape love sacrifices. It's already been alluded to in Romans there, but let's go back one more time to 1 John. We're going to camp out in 1 John for a couple minutes here. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. No, 1 John chapter 4. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4. Verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, agape love sacrifices. This, there's this desire to do what's best for the person. And then the fifth one, stay in 1 John. Agape is always demonstrated or demonstrative. Uh, the same text, look at what it says in verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. Because agape is more a response than a feeling, agape is a love that always is demonstrated. It is always shown. Uh, God didn't tell me that He loved me. God showed me that He loved me. A perfect description of that kind of love, and with this we will close. A perfect description of that kind of love is found, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Would you go there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. read through this scripture, I know this is well known to most of us. Those watching home, I know you know the scripture. But would you read it again, just thinking about this God-like love and what it really, how it really is described here? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, a love that is agape, a love that's like God's, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's how important this fruit of the Spirit is. I can do a lot of good things, but if I don't have this agape love expressed through my life, then, then I'm just making a lot of noise. Verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Paul said, listen, I could be the best preacher, the best teacher in the world, and I can have the gift of prophecy, I can have the gift of faith, I can move mountains, but if I don't have this agape, if there's no evidence of God's love in me, then I'm nothing. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul said, let's just imagine for a moment that I just gave it all away. That I cared so much for people that I just gave it all away. To the fact, to the point even, that I would give my own body as a sacrifice. I, I would be burned at the stake or whatever. Let's just imagine I just gave it everything, even my own life. But Paul says, but if I don't have that agape, if I'm not motivated by that God-like love, if there's no evidence of God's love in me, Paul says, no matter what I give, I gain nothing. And then he describes love. Love is patient. 
love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You know, do you know why love is mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit first? I asked you that question a moment ago. Because everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of that. That's why he says love is patient. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. But Paul says it's tied up in love. Love is patient and love is kind. And it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Again, just making observations, do you see this list? He says love is and love is not. If you're making observations, you see this list that he's developing here. Love is this, love is this, love is this. It is not this, it is not this, it is not this. Paul is trying to make sure that his readers get a good grasp that this is more than just a theoretical thing. He wants you to understand it and to live it. So he says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does, it is, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Then he uses this word always. And do you see in verse 7 how that word is repeated? Again, a red flag. This is really important. This is a very important word. Speaking about love, Apostle Paul said, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah, but what about, Paul would say always. Yeah, 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 but what about this guy? Paul would say always. Yeah, but what about this? Always. Always. And we're talking about God-like love. God-like love. We're talking about God's love. God's love always protects. You can always trust it. It always has hope. God's love always perseveres. Then he says, in case you didn't get that, verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. People fail. But love never fails. And then skip down to verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Can I be honest with you? If I was ranking those three, I would put them in the order in which they are written. If you say, which is the greatest of these? If I didn't know this scripture. If I didn't know the scripture, say, Keith, which, just kind of put these in some kind of order. Which do you think is great? I'd say faith. Faith is important. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God, the Bible says. I'd put faith number one. And then I'd probably put hope number two. And then, then, then I'd put love number three. That's just the way I would rank it. And that's the way Paul wrote it. But then he says, to, cl- to clarify, but, just to make sure you understand, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what you need to understand. We are incapable of agape on our own. I don't want you to leave here thinking, I just got to love more. I got to do a better job. I, I, I just got to try to love people better. I just, no, that's not really the focus. The focus is, I want the Holy Spirit to have all there is of me. I want to be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God that the love of God flows through me. Because this is not the fruit of Keith. 
I just got to do better. I just got to love better. I just got to treat people better. I got to make sure I don't lose my temper. This is not the love of Keith. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in Keith. Does that make sense? Now, let, let me just give you a couple of, or several statements here before we end. This is a love that does not come naturally on our own. We're talking about a love we are incapable of on our own. It is the love of God expressed to us and through us to others. It is the love of God we experience and it is the love of God that is expressed through us to others. Uh, I also want you to understand that it is a response more than it is a feeling. That's an importance. It's a response more than it is a feeling. It is the Holy Spirit working in our lives and changing us to be more like Jesus. And I would just close with this. If you're struggling to love someone, and I know how that is sometimes, especially if they don't like you, there's just some people that are hard to love and they don't love you and it's hard to love them back. Maybe the place to start would be to pray. God, would you show me how to love them like, like you do? And God, I'm incapable of doing it on my own. First John chapter 4, verse 7 is a verse that you might want to mark in your Bible. If it's not already marked. It's marked in my Bible. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Look at that. We're incapable of this kind of love. The Bible says, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John said, that's the evidence. That's the evidence that you know God. Is that you have a love like He does. And all God's people said... Amen. Hey, this is the fruit of, the, of love. Next week we'll pick up with, an, with the next one, and I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks for tuning in, by the way, those who are watching tonight. God bless.